0: Hello. Good evening. So, this is my first official Dharma talk. I'm a little bit nervous. It's not like I haven't been talking a lot, but (laughs) somehow it's different. And I've come a long way. You know, I used to be um, giving a little speech mini Dharma talk like I do before class. And I just couldn't wait to get people into downward facing dog because then I could talk to their butts and everything would flow just really easily. It was very different than having, you know, all these eyes looking at you. Butts are nice. They're kind. And then a few years ago when I sat... Um, a long retreat and um, after a few days I went in for interview with Jack and he said how is it going and I said it's going well you know I already had sat numerous retreats by then and knew the drill got settled in all right and I said I just couldn't get rid of my heart beating really fast And I was like, that's really weird. I mean, what is my heart? Like, it was like a little bird that was trying to fly out of my chest. And I was like, I have trouble sleeping and just, I'm in in a constant low grade, or I was in a constant low grade anxiety. And I was like, I don't understand because I really feel safe here. It's like, I know I feel safe with you guys. And, you know, you assume that, people who come to meditate at Spirit Rock are not thieves and murderers <laughs> in their regular lives. And so it sh- there should be no reason for me to be afraid. And yet I was. And so he said, oh, isn't that curious? You know how Jack is. He's like, or your teachers are. They're like, oh, I'm curious about this. Let's dig a little. And so he made me close my my eyes and he took me into my heart and turned out that I am actually frightened of people. Since I'm a little child, I had a nasty little experience when I was uh, 18 months, I was left in the hospital and I don't know exactly what happened. Nobody knows, but I changed after I came home. Something, I got really frightened Probably feared for my life, and I turned into a very calm child, which is hard to believe. (laughs) I could play in the corner for hours without making a fuss, because probably I was still afraid I would be put back there. And um, I was amazed when I figured this out—really amazed. I was like, because I always thought I was—I'm an extrovert. Like, people would think that of me. I'm kind of lively, I'm sure you've noticed. And and when I figured that out, I was, I was stunned. I was like, wow, how, how does that jive with being a community leader? And it doesn't really work. But it freed me up in such a way, I can't even tell you, because for years, like, that nervousness when I'd rather t- speak to people's butts than to their faces, I always associated that with there's something wrong with me or like I may not know enough. Even though I've been doing this for thirty years, it's like, oh, I probably should study more or I should, you know, do more trainings. Do you know that voice? And then I realized oh it has nothing to do with that. And the first experience I actually had was in Cologne at Vishnu Couch with Danny and people. And all of a sudden, there were like 400 people, 800 eyes looking at me. It's like, try that, right? And so instead of having it a problem, I just outed myself right away. I was like, whoa, you know, that is scary to have 800 eyes looking at you. And everybody laughed. And that was the end of the problem. After that, I went into what I know so well. And there was, it wasn't sabotaging me anymore. So what you're finding out here, I know, especially now, the tears are starting to flow. You're cracking. Is not always so easy. You're going to find things or see things that make you feel vulnerable. But I'm just telling you that vulnerability can actually become a great asset. Truly. It's like we think we have to be I remember the times when I thought like a good yoga teacher is like a cheerleader. I have to be in front of the class and, you know, cheerlead. And it was exhausting. I probably would have given it up after a few years if I hadn't figured out what, wow, wait a minute, I'm teaching just as much with my flaws. When I make a mistake like today, let's all be lost and found, but blind and found, right? It makes people feel at ease. It's like, oh, she isn't perfect. I don't have to be perfect either. It makes it all so human. And this is really one of the greatest gifts I got at Spirit Rock, was that, hey, we're all human here. There's nobody knows all the answers we're all doing this together in what works for you. You can share that. So I want to talk uh, a little bit about the role of the ego tonight with that, because the ego has a need of defending itself. I was for a very long time very confused about the role of the, the Buddhists call it affectionately, I guess I'm a Buddhist too. We affectionately call it the small sense of self, which is sweet, right? But for a long time, I always thought like you have to get rid of the small sense of self. In the olden time, like 40 years ago, (laughs) it's true. My mom, she would read this book, and it's like, you got to eradicate the ego. The ego is bad, and you got to be on top of it. you got to break it. Otherwise, you will never have realization. You will never find to God. You will never be free. And I still feel remnants of that occasionally in places, like the ego is a bad thing. And so I thought about this for quite some time. I was like, this, this is just... What is it with this ego thing? And then one day, what dawned to me is actually interesting the Sanskrit calls it the Chit Achit Granti. Chit means consciousness, and Achit means unconsciousness, and Granti means not. So basically, the ego is called the Chit Achit Granti. It means the not between conscious. And unconscious. With other words, it is the threshold or it's the revolving door of what you have come to believe about yourself. For example, if you have been taught as a child like you're a good person or you are like, wow, you did it well, like you were praised by your parents. You grow up believing that you can achieve things and sometimes if you were praised maybe too much even or you couldn't do anything wrong, there were never any consequences, you've pushed your inner loser on the other side of the revolving door into the unconscious. It's like the ego is the guardian that decides what am identified with today? Or vice versa, which is the lesser scenario or the worst scenario. If you've been constantly told told as a child that you're a loser, your inner winner is in the unconscious. So you will only see how you lose in life. Every time you lose something, you will be reassured that you're a loser because that's what your ego, your sense of self has identified with. But of course, nobody is just the winner. Nobody is just a loser. It's just one is in the conscious and one is in an unconscious perspective. And the knot is like making sure that nothing gets passed. So here's the role of the ego for me in spiritual life. So I compare it to a seed. They have found seeds. That are 2,000 years old in Egyptian tombs. You say tombs, right? Mm -hmm. Amazing. There they are, exactly the way they were placed in. They're still completely viable, meaning if you put them in the earth, something will grow. But there they were 2,000 years just in their little seeds. For me, seeds are like egos. And if you think about it, there is... All seeds are small. Even redwood trees are, seeds are very small. I think the biggest seed is an avocado seed. In my opinion, a superior <laughs> fruit or whatever the hell it is. But it's still, it's, you know, it's this big. It's not that big. So all seeds are small. Just like our ego, it's just, no matter how you toss and turn it, whether you make it bigger or smaller, it's still pretty small. But it, Guards your true potential just like a seat does. When we spend a lot of time upholding the ego, it's also interesting that if you try to make your ego smaller, it will backfire. It's like I started watching, like I get, or I used to get, because I grew up in a very intellectual family. My brothers are super smart. There's only men in my family except my mom. She didn't talk a lot except when we were alone. So my, my brothers and my dad were very dominant, all very smart people. They went on to become very, very highly successful in Western world. One is a doctor, the other is a lawyer, and then there's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never got a word in edgewise. So smart people intimidate me. Like people like Matt, it's, thank God it's not so bad anymore. But even a few years ago, he would intimidate the shit out of me. And I would have like, like in, interesting, like my ego would shrink. I could watch it shrink. And I would kind of stumble a little bit, say funny things and think, oh my God, what's going on? And then would set in the opposite, which is all of a sudden I would hear myself say, I know so and so or I've been practicing such and such a long time, (laughs) all compensation because my ego just shrunk a little bit. I had to make it bigger again. So the bragging part really comes as a response to your ego getting smaller. It doesn't work to try to make your ego smaller. It's just bigger and smaller, just the other side of the same coin. There's actually only one way of dealing with the small sense of self. And that is to make it transparent. Not small, not big. But transparent like a seed. If we don't, if we're we're unlucky seed and we get placed in an Egyptian tomb, which basically means it's unsafe. You are going to run around as your small sense of self your entire life containing your true potential to reach whatever that seed could grow. We don't even know what it is. Whatever your potential is, it will never unfold because the seed is too busy defending. The seed is going to be very hard. So for me, the first thing is to create safety in a yoga class. Safety here. This is such a safe place. People pick up on it. Even the deers, are not afraid of you. I mean, how safe can it get, right? You can relax. When you relax, it's like you put the seed into the moist earth and then the miracle begins to happen. The seed actually the way that the seed grows is it becomes porous and there is information going on between the insides of the seeds and the outside of the earth. The seed will take certain things inside. It will release other things outside. And all of a sudden, all nicely in the dark, your seed will start to grow. And whatever it'll grow into is going to be really, really authentic. And we don't even know what that is. What kind of plant you're going to end up being. So for me, it's just a really important thought not to force or try to manipulate the ego, but to create the conditions where you, where you allow to soften the shell a little bit and then trust that you will pick up, that's what I said today with the digestive system, It's like you will pick out exactly those information that you need right now. And if you forget everything else, that doesn't matter. You pick out that one thing that's going to make your seed grow a little bit. And maybe for some time it will be in the dark. But eventually it'll come out of the earth and it'll just become authentically what you were meant to be. As one of my friends says, the gorgeous curiosity that you were meant to be. So close your eyes for just a moment. See if you can feel that shell, that hard shell, that the way that the ego defends its mechanism, has to uphold it, what it has taken on as a belief about itself, even though it may not even be true. And when it starts cracking, it starts softening. The grunty or the knot, is dissolving. Notice how that feels in your face, because the ego is Primarily expressing itself through the face, our personality. So while you're doing yoga or meditating to relax, your face helps to soften the shell. And you can open your eyes again. What would it feel like if we really reached our full potential? I want you to hold that as an image of yourself. Even if we don't know exactly, I don't know. I'm still growing. What kind of a curiosity I will turn into? I'm already pretty peculiar, pretty weird. (laughs) And hopefully I'll get more so. Because it means I'm authentically growing into whatever. And the small sense of self doesn't take it so personally. The mistakes or, you know, if you lose face, it's, oh well, it's just the small sense of self. What happens when the small sense of self dissolves, and I want you to pay attention to this in the next few days, is that, all of a sudden you start realizing that you're made of something other than your opinions of yourself or the things that you've believed about yourself i'm this i'm not that i'm good i'm bad all of a sudden something else takes over and that's a really wonderful experience and it's called the maha Bhuttas. maha means great and bhutas means element I love that when the small sense of self starts dissolving and becoming porous like you'll notice that you'll practice and something comes up like maybe the tears like today there were a lot of tears, tears start flowing. And instead of like the little sense of self freaked out, who did it? Somebody must be having done something. All of a sudden, you just realize, oh, wow, that's just the water element. Oh, my God, it's raining today. Woo, raining, raining, raining. Or some days, you come to the mat, and you sit down, and you have a hate meditation. <laughs> You'll be like, fire, fire, there's a wildfire. Sometimes you come to sit, or you do your practice. It's like nobody is there to do it. You're being done. I once did a yoga shirt at Yoga Sangha. I said, you can't do yoga. Let yoga do you. Same thing, right? You can't really do it. There's nobody doing anything. It's just these elements that come. And to me, one of the most sacred thing is, I mean, we don't know about any other place in the universe that the elements have come together in such a way as to support life. Don't you think it's just amazing? It's just a little bit, they're talking about this, right? The global warming, just a little bit too hot and everything is going to hell in a handbasket. But right now, even in the desert, I live in the desert, there is a lot of life. You wouldn't believe the fierceness of life in the desert. It's like two drops of rain and the whole desert goes, bing! Everything on this planet is balanced in such a way. Earth, water, fire, air, as to support life. Don't you think that is in you too? So why are we meddling with it all the time? Why are we taking it so personal when these elements, the representative of these elements sweep through? Water, tears, oh, it's raining, okie-dokie. Sometimes we need a little flood, the tears wash away some of the past stuff. It's very healthy to cry. There are wildfires. There are certain seeds that will only crack in a wildfire. We think of wildfire as really destructive. But we don't actually know. Ignore, right? <clears throat> hard to ignore though. (laughs) Thank you, Wes. (gasps) Isn't he the best? So these seeds only crack in the fire and you don't know what you're, if you don't take it so personally, when the anger comes, if the small sense of self doesn't hold on so tightly and you just feel like the fire comes one day and like some days I stepped onto my yoga mat and my practice was like, I was like, who is this? It was just like, oh, sweating and it was "Mm," breathing and something was trying to express itself and I just got out of the way. I was like, oh, go ahead. Just, it blasted through me and something cracked inside. And there was an energy release. Like, I believe people like Martin Luther King or Gandhi were actually very, 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 very pissed off people. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that is true. They learned how to transform their anger and use it. I mean, nothing but anger will give you that kind of energy to, like, change an entire nation. I mean, come on. That takes some juju, some real juice, right? That was anger that was had been transformed. It, it was transformed into fuel. And they were relentless in their pursuit of nonviolence, of justice, relentless until... They left until it changed. So that kind of fire, if you don't act it out in an unconscious manner, if you just feel it move through you and express it in your own safe way in your body, it will crack something open and release an energy that, I don't know, you may do something with. Maybe you will be the next Martin Luther King or Gandhi. Who knows? Sometimes the air, like after you notice, sometimes you sit down, and it feels like you're floating off. Or you feel really connected to the, light, the beings around you, like there's this kind of flutter in the air almost. Or maybe you get particularly touched by the hummingbirds. In Portuguese, they're called beija flor, which means kiss flowers, the ones that kiss the flower. So you get connected to the air element. You breathe. It's so wonderful. So when we the the small sense of self gives up its exclusive reign of your being, all these other things come to carry you. And these elements are not so personal. And actually, if you let them they will balance themselves out in your body without even you trying. I mean, that's what Ayurveda really is, trying to balance doshas. But the thing is, you don't really need to do it if you just pay attention. Just like the planet Earth, you know, you don't have to run after that these elements play together in such a nice way as to keep the temperatures just in the right place. It just does it. And to me, that's very precious. And so we start... Bringing so much reverence and respect toward these elements, and it makes the small sense of self really glad. It's actually secretly really happy that it can can give up. You know, it's like sometimes you see in households those small dogs because they're so cute, right? They take over a whole family. They're terrorizing the family. <laughs> I know you know what I mean. You've seen it, right? Like, And it's all because the dog is, you don't know what you're doing. You're, he, he, the dog takes over. And it's mayhem. The moment that you step up as the leader and you're, as Caesar says, calm and assertive, and you, <laughs> you're calm and assertive, the little dog, they, thank God, you know, I can give up trying to protect and... You know, this family doesn't have to do it. The, the ego secretly is glad like that when something bigger steps up and says, hey, I'm, uh, I'm the boss here. And then the ego becomes a good servant and doesn't have to play the bad master anymore. So tomorrow we're going to chant, or maybe tonight, I'm, I'm going to do the closing tonight. And we'll chant the bija mantras. They're wonderful kind of keys to open each frequency to the elements. Earth, water, fire, air. When you're about to die, I was with my mom, as I was talking today about, when she died. And it was really amazing to watch these elements reverse. It started with earth. Like there came a time like two or three weeks before she died, she couldn't walk anymore. It was like the air element left. Goodbye. Gone. And then came the water. She was constantly thirsty. Fire. She was having weird do you think menopause is bad? <laughs> Dying is really weird in terms of temperature, hot and cold. And guess the last thing that each and every one of us ever will do? It's an exhale. You give the breath back. In the Tantra, we actually say that the goddess, which is behind nature, she breathes into you and you inhale. And when you exhale she takes you back which is of course what nature does that's how we exchange oxygen and what's the other thing called carbon dioxide. carbon dioxide with plants we exhale they inhale and vice versa so it's a beautiful thought it's like you you borrow these elements for a while and then you give them back when you die and all because the small sense of self is no longer in the way. So I invite you to let it crack the hard shell. There's no need to uphold any kind of sense of who you think you are. You can become very fluent. It's like nobody going nowhere, doing nothing for the next few days. And then when you come out, you're going to put it back together, but maybe there'll be a little more ease in the way that you relate to your small sense of self. A little more sweetness, too. There was once a um, great master, I love this story, and he was giving beautiful teachings. And he would always give these teachings, and then at the end of his session he would say, now place these teachings, place these beautiful words on your heart. And one day, one of the students asked, he says, well, Master, why do you always say put these words on your heart? Why don't you say put them in your heart? And the Master said, ah, just time and grace can do that for you. First, your heart has to break, and then the words will fall in. Place your right hand on your heart. What can you do in your life to set up these circumstances so that the seed can actually soften a little bit? Often that involves the creation of better boundaries, I found. I feel 80% of misery could be avoided if we knew how to set better boundaries. If we could say to people, not any closer. Proper boundaries, allowing the people to come close that really are helping you to grow that don't always injure you or walk all over you. It doesn't help, because the ego just gets harder. There's more need to defend, to posture, to hold on. here's a story for you. The police called at my student hubble early evening, but I didn't answer as I thought they'd come to evict me as I hadn't paid my rent for several months. But then I got to thinking my mom hadn't been too good, and what if it was something about her? We had no phones in these student hubbles, so I had to Nipped down the phone box and I rang home to Leeds to find my mother was in the hospital, not expected to survive the night. Get home, son, my dad said. So I ran to the railway station to find I had missed the last train. A train was going as far as Petersboro, but I would miss the connecting Leeds train by 20 minutes. I bought a ticket home and got on anyway. The whole way I had a screwdriver in my pocket and a bunch of skeleton keys. I was so desperate to get home, I planned to steal a car in Peterborough just to get home, if it killed me that night. Tickets, please. I heard as I stared out the window at the passing darkness. I fumbled for my ticket and gave it to the guard. I'd been crying. I must have looked a sight. You okay? he asked of course i'm okay i said why wouldn't i be and what's that got to do with you in any case you look awful he said anything i can do you get lost and mind your own damn business i said that be a big help i wasn't in the mood for talking to anybody he was only a little bloke and he must have read the danger signals in my body language and i was a pretty good guy he didn't like the tone of voice but he sat down opposite me anyway and continued, he said, if there is a problem, I'm here to help. Now I was big and I thought for a second about sending him on his way, but somehow it didn't seem appropriate. He wasn't doing that much wrong and I was going through all the stages of grief and denial and everything. A cauldron of emotions. My mom was dying and he placed himself in my line of fire. The only thing other thing I could think of to get rid of him was telling him my story look I said my mom is in the hospital dying she won't survive the night and I'm going to miss the connection to Leeds at Peterborough I'm not sure I'm going to get home I don't know I've got to get home tonight I won't get any other chance I'm upset I don't feel like talking look could you just leave me alone buddy sorry to hear that son he said I leave you alone then hope you make it home He wandered back down the train. Ten minutes later, he's back. I thought, oh no, here we go again. He touches my arm. Listen, listen, boy. When we get to Peterborough, shoot straight over to Platform 1. Quick as you like. The Leeds train will be there. It wasn't really registering. Come again, I said stupidly. What do you mean? Is it late or something? No, it isn't late, he said defensively, as if he really cared whether the trains were late or not. It's not late. Nope. I just radioed Peterborough. They are going to hold the train for you. Soon as you get on, it goes. Everybody will be complaining how late it is. But let's not worry about this on this occasion. You get home and that is the main thing. Good luck and God bless. Then he was off down the train again. Tickets, please. Any more tickets? I suddenly realized what a top-class, fully-fledged dud I was and chased him down the train. I wanted to give him all the money from my wallet, my driver's license, my keys, but I knew he would be offended. I caught him. I, I just wanted to. I was suddenly speechless. It's okay. Not a problem. He had a warm smile. He was a good man for its own sake. He didn't want anything. I had to thank him not a problem he said if you feel the need to thank me next time you see someone in trouble you help them out that helped me out plenty tell them to pay you back the same way and soon the world might be a bit better place I was at my mother's side as she died in the early hours of the morning And even now, I can't think of her without remembering the good conductor on the late night train to Peterborough. And to this day, I won't hear a bad word said about British Rail, no matter how slow they are. (laughs) My meeting with the good conductor changed me from a selfish, potentially violent hedonist into a decent human being. But it it did take time. And I paid him back a lot of time since then. I tell the young people I work with, and I'll, help, I'll keep doing it until the day I die. You don't owe me nothing, nothing at all. And if you think you do, give the same advice the good conductor gave me. Pass it on down the line. Close your eyes. And I'm excited for you to find out how being vulnerable will add to your life. We've come to believe that to be strong is to be kind of not showing any emotions, like always knowing what we're doing. And it's such bullshit. Find out you're vulnerable, and share it with others, and you'll be surprised of the love that comes back to you. I remember one day I was in the middle of a teacher training, and just like in the middle of retreat that we are now, things can get a little difficult. We're either crying or something is happening usually around the middle. And this young man, he hit a wall, just a wall. And just before that, I had spoken about, you will guess it, dogs and wolves, my favorite subject. And I was sharing how dogs are so selfless that the only time they will leave their pack is when they're about to die. That's really true. Healthy dogs, they will spare you to watch them die because they know dying is a solitary thing and they don't want to hinder or trouble the pack so the only time they ever separate from their pack is when they're about to die and they will find a little place to go die. That's how selfless they are. And so this young man in the middle of this afternoon picked up, hit a wall, and snuck out. But I have eagle eyes, and I caught him. I ran after him down the hallway, and I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, where do you think you're going? And he said, I just can't do this. I'm just, and his pattern, of course, was whenever things were difficult, he just would go home and crawl underneath the cover and hide rather than just being vulnerable. I said, are you about to die? And he said, no. And I said, get back to the pack. And I chased him back up the stairs and he did. And I said, go back to your pack and share. So he went back upstairs, and he broke into tears and shared. And it changed his life. It really did. He had such an outpouring of love. Turns out that, of course, several other people just barely kept it together, hanging in there. And by him stepping forward and sharing his difficulty with everybody else, it broke the whole thing open. And it was such a feast of love and compassion and empathy and expression It was amazing. He was glowing by the end. He would have been miserable at home underneath the cover. So I'm inviting you to find how your own vulnerability, the breaking of your heart, will contribute to your life. And let's sit.